0: Welcome to another episode of the behind-the-scenes content for Adam Xanadu, presented by Don't Sue Us, Please. Today, we have a great interview with our director, Kelly Johnston, one of our head writers, John Petrie, our creative producer, Nora Barpal, and what would have been me, sound designer and composer, Josh Wilson, but due to a short in my microphone line, my audio is lost. So if you hear the occasional hole or response that has no answer, it's because my audio is missing. We apologize for that. Instead of hearing me in the interview... You'll have to hear me in these voiceovers. I'll try to give you the gist of what I said during the interview. I'll also be serving as your tangent tour guide, keeping us on track in all the places that we got off track, so much so that we couldn't keep it in the recording. This episode revolves all around the creation of Madame Xanadu as a series, from the creators themselves. I hope you enjoy it. Finally, before we get started, this episode is brought to you by listeners like you subscribing to us on Patreon. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Enjoy the episode.
1: One of the things that I love about comics are the C and D listers. Um, because every single comic character is someone's favorite character, no matter whether it's, you know, Ragman or Patchwork Man or, you know, Icicle, someone is someone's favorite character. I just found Madame Dan- Xanadu fascinating. Um, mostly through, oh, actually, fun fact. Um, the first Madame Xanadu that I ever read was in a Wonder Woman comic. There was... Really? Yeah. In, I was
2: going to ask, what, which, what, when did you come into her timeline?
1: I want to say it was... Ooh, gee, I wish I'd, I could go pull the book, but it would take me a minute to find. Um, there was a three-part Wonder Woman um, story that was, I think it was written by Roy Thomas and art by Gene Colon, or Colon, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Um, but it involved every single heroine kind of in the DC universe that had any prominence at the time. Uh-huh. And in the second book, first chapter, or second, irrelevant to the story, but it was Supergirl teaming up with Madame Xanadu and going to Earth X, was, which was um, a world, an alternate universe where the Nazis had won World War II.
2: Right. Which, um, which the CW exploited in the crossover uh, of yes. the various properties. Yeah. yeah.
1: And there was – I didn't know anything about this character. It never kind of said where were. It never kind of said anything about her. And I knew, you know, like Supergirl was in it and Wonder Girl was in it and, Raven <coughs> and all of these characters that, and Huntress and, and Power Girl and Black Canary. And I knew all of them. And I didn't know anything about Madam Xanadu. And I was just kind of fascinated by the fact of not knowing anything about this person, including what she could do. Um, and I don't know why I wanted to write her. It's kind of interesting. I just find her really fascinating. Um, I like, I, I don't, actually, Kelly, you can kind of speak to this because we talked a little bit about this in the first Comics Corner. Yeah. Um, when we read, when we read the specter right. issues from the early seventies, right? you kind of said, oh, well, there was no overarching story. And it, I remember you kind of going, oh, it threw me a little bit. Cause that's what I was expecting.
2: I mean, I mean, certainly when, when we started looking into this as a podcast, because, you know, my introduction to you, John, besides knowing you from forbidden planet, like recognizing you from having gone in and bought comics there was the script that you and Matthew wrote for wonder woman. And of course that was a movie script. And then we discussed doing the podcast. You guys broke it episodically. And so I remember, I can't remember if it was you or if it was Matthew that said that you were going to do Madam Xanadu. And i I'd, I'd been like, that's great. Like I, it's a character I'm familiar with exactly like you say, a C or D lister, but an interest, like they're all interesting, but like that's one that there's a lot of room for interp on love it. And I was expecting episodic the same as Wonder Woman. I thought you'd probably, you know, and so you had these four stories, these four scripts and they were not episodically linked. They were thematically linked, which at at just at first sort of sort of threw me, me personally in the sense of of I wasn't I wasn't expecting them to be broken stories. And and that's not even entirely true because, you know, like episode at least in our releases, uh, episode part the third references back to episode part the first, you, you know, indirectly. So they're, they're, it's not even true to say that they're not episodic because, because they do link. But um, when, when we read for the Spectre, for that Comics Corner, uh, and I also read, uh, what is it, Doorway and Nightmare?
1: Doorway into Nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Doorway to Nightmare. Doorway is, to Nightmare.
2: That's it, Doorway to Nightmare which is a, an anthology series DC did in the 70s, which was Man, Madame Xanadu's very first appearance. John told me what it was. It was the first run. So I read them. And what I didn't know, John did, and what I didn't know is that uh, they were all standalones. There were, there, they were, because it was anth- anthologized, they were standalone episodes of Madame Xanadu. They did not link other than they, that Madame Xanadu was the, the superhero, quote-unquote, in question, and that she had that great wall of jars, like the, mm-hmm. like whatever she solves ends up in a jar that she puts on the wall. And it was it was a short run, like it was only like six episodes, right, John? Like they didn't. Yeah, I think it
1: was six issues. Six issues,
2: yeah. and then that's it. They they didn't run. And then she came again. You said it was the Matt Wagner run.
1: Yeah, I mean, she moved into sort of various parts. Right. And she was she appeared in the '90s Spectre thing, but the thing that sort of fascinated me because I'm so much older than everybody else but the thing except that I except
2: me except me
1: well I appreciate that um, <laughs> but the thing that sort of fascinates me I don't know why I'm playing with my hood like this um, the thing uh, that sort You know what of,
2: it makes you feel comfortable go for work uh, Yeah with just
1: it. so everyone knows I'm I'm actually wearing a hoodie and I'm have the hood up for some reason
2: He's totally got playing the sip with Lord, it Lord like look going Don't kid yourself it's like Darth Darth Johnius over there Actually John John, P- so it'd be Darth, Darth Petrius. That'd or be it's
1: it. My, I was thinking of it as my share hair, but okay. That but also anyway, works, actually. Thank you. Mm. Um, but the thing that I loved about comics when I was growing up in the 70s was stories were maybe one or two issues, and that was it. There right. weren't, it really wasn't until the 80s. Claremont came in with the yeah. X Men in 76 when you began to have these long storylines. Right. And so I thought, well, you know, here is this character who. I don't know how much I was influenced by the Matt Wagner, probably much more than I think. But um, you know, here's this character who's immortal, who can go through any time, and you know, sort of has all of these connections kind of to the the mystical and ethereal world uh part of the DC universe. Right. So my thought was why not just do these characters? And I have to tell you, um, full disclosure. I, As we got closer and closer to releasing it, I was freaking out more and more because I thought, oh, anyone who's who listened to Wonder Woman and was really into that, I thought, oh, my God, they're going to get to Madame Xanadu and they're going to be like, what the F are these people doing? <laughs> and I was I really like the uh... the night before the first episode dropped, I. I don't want to say I was having nightmares because I wasn't having nightmares, but I was like, oh my God, it's going to tank and it's going to be all my fault.
2: <laughs> wow. So much pressure. Um, so I was re- so I, much I was, pressure.
1: I, well, you know, you know,
2: I, you know I, I, although I will say John that like to, to, to your fear, I, I, I certainly didn't expect, I did not have any dire feelings the way you did, but I was aware that like we were moving from Wonder Woman, which was episodic, four episodes it's a, it was very active, multiple voices, big scale battle at the end with harpies and, and Josh working his magic to make wing sound and, um, and, and, and music and the whole nine yards. And then, you know, the thing is, is uh, episode uh, part, the first of Madame Xanadu for us is Alex playing Madame Xanadu doing effectively a 30 minute monologue. And there is music and there are even sound effects because the, the story she's telling, Josh worked in some really great very present stuff and it's wonderful but if you're coming in expecting wonder woman the sequel you're right it's a it's a very different experience um but it's magical and and i'm proud to say that the numbers like in terms of listens reflect that it's not like people ran away from it you know what i mean we didn't tank is what i'm saying john you didn't kill us
1: yeah i know and i i my thought process tends to be a little bit more, you know, I go to the dark place. Um, I don't always Hins, go to the good hence place. Hence the
2: Darth, the, the Darth uh, Hoodie. Darth Hood. Exactly.
1: Um, although, actually, Josh, I – did you – when you were reading that first episode, were you like, what the
2: hell is? am I going to do? <laughs> well, it, it helps – I it like helps. That
3: it sounds like we know what we're doing.
2: Well, it helps too. He that, just
3: implied that.
2: Well, it. I mean, I mean, in terms of like, there's any number of things we may not be adept at, but in terms of creating, in terms of coming up with a story and then creating a realistic world for that story, we are super adept at. So, I mean, part of the difference was Josh, like in that first script with Wonder Woman. Literally, you weren't involved yet, so you know none. Neither Matthew John or myself had any idea of what a sound engineer would need. Like we took our best guess, and, and like you know tried. And with Madame Xanadu, it was st- like we had begun prep for Xanadu while we were getting the dialogue track down for Wonder Woman, and then there was you know let us call it a hiatus. So because we actually because we actually recorded that dialogue too, and then there was this long hiatus, and so. By the time we were moving into Xanadu and we started talking about um, – we can't talk about them still, can we? Shit. But, um, yeah, the new ones. But by the time we started talking about the new ones that are coming up, we, we had worked with you. And now all of a sudden there was a comfort level in the sense of like, oh, okay. And now the game is kind of Josh is evolving toward what can we throw at Josh to challenge him rather than like worrying about can Josh get it accomplished? um
1: well you know it's interesting because when we first started recording wonder woman i don't i was not thinking in any terms of background music or theme or anything like that i was literally just thinking like sound effects so when i wrote madame xanadu kelly i think this was maybe the second or third draft I, I, think it, I think I think maybe it was the second draft because it was the first time that it became a monologue. Right. Um, and I remember there were all sorts of things. There were there was like a mouse running across right. the piano at one point. Right. There was a tea that yes. that. Yes. Yes, I remember that. So I was thinking, yeah, and I was so I was thinking like, well, what if you're having a conversation with someone? What sounds would freak you out? And I started thinking like, well, what freaked me out when I was listening to Sweeney Todd? Right. Like. The air horn, the whistle, off, right? Yeah, the whistle that goes off. Yeah, the when they would take particular themes. Like there was the theme at the beginning when um, Sweeney's wife goes to the judge's house, and then it's yep. and then all of a sudden when the beggar, um, I just spoiled something for at someone who's never heard uh, it before.
2: That, um, you know what? If they don't know it, they still won't understand what you're talking about.
1: But then when the beggar woman comes on, it's the same theme. It's right. just dissonant. It's, it's,
2: it's, yeah, it's a dissonant, it's in a minor key.
1: And <clears throat> so that's what I was thinking of when I was thinking of, of Madame Zian, especially the first episode, because I thought nobody was going to want to listen to somebody talk for half an hour. How am I going to break this up so that there's sounds in there? Um, yeah. I was, I was going to say, the third episode probably gave me the most agita writing it because it was, it was the one episode where she was fairly active. Um, and it was, as it involved spoiler alert, because it involved a demon in a computer. Okay. Um, so because it involved a demon in a computer that the third episode probably gave me personally the most agita writing, um, The fourth one was the most fun to write just because I was a nerd because I am a nerd and I was able to put in all these characters. And I remember after the very first reading, (laughs) I was sitting down and getting notes from Kelly and Matthew and Kelly's like, John, you have to remember, not everybody's going to know who Zatara is.
2: Yeah. Like, let's just like, I love it. But like, don't know. Yeah. But like, you have to work from the framework of no one knows who the rest of these people are like. Zachary and, and Zatara, and for that matter, because you talked about in um, uh, one of the other interviews, John, uh, Far- King Faraday, like why Faraday was in there. Do um, you mind repeating that one?
1: Um, so, well, King Faraday, so uh, fun fact, um, King Faraday, his father, um, made a joke out of his name, and it's supposed to be King for a day. And that's <laughs> that was that's, that's terrible why he came up with that name um so king faraday is a spy and and in the dc universe and worked for checkmate and is very certainly nowadays morally gray um it was actually going to be another character and then i thought that's too obscure stop
2: who stop gonna, that immediately. who are you going to make it
1: there is a character from the late 1960s teen titan series called mr jupiter who was a sponsor for the teen Titans and appeared maybe in like 10 issues or so when, and just kind of disappeared. And, um, uh, actually another fun fact, Jeff John said in an interview that there was a chance in infinite crisis that, um, Max Lord was that he, he ended up using Max Lord, but he wasn't going to, he was going to use Mr. Jupiter and i was like oh poor mr jupiter nobody's seen him in you know
2: 30 years yeah.
1: why not use him and i so originally that's who he was going to be but then when i was like all right it has to be amanda waller behind this it couldn't be mr jupiter it had to be king faraday um so he was fun to bring in anytime i can do right vixen at all i'm i'm happy yeah,
2: happy Vix- man vixen and and Leslie Leslie Lewis did a lovely job. With
1: yeah, our, thought, it's amazing.
2: Yeah, I mean, what what Josh is being kind enough to elide out of that story is he had he had finished the design and submitted it, and and it had been approved. Like we were going to air it, and the music bothered me a lot in episode four in a way that it hadn't in the others, and um, like with hours to go wasn't it Josh? Or was it a day? I don't remember now. Okay. So like, yeah. Cause like, well, cause, cause some of the stuff we've turned around in like an hour, like the, when we had to replace Josh's voice in episode one, we did that like with two hours before we were going to put it out. But, but like, yeah, I guess a week out I was like, Josh, the music is wrong. Um, yeah, and I'm, and I was like, and I realized what the problem is, and where where it struck me the most is in the last scene that you wrote, John, which is sort of a, a traditional denouement scene where now that the the crisis moment is over, we now get, you know, again, like in a heist movie, we now get here's how we did it, right? And given that there's magic in such a play in this in this in this particular piece, I like the sense of magicians sort of saying okay so here's how we did it right but in the midst of that conversation because we were going with the the very atmospheric and saturated music that we had been using it just made the scene go from being you know a quick explanation scene to like a year in the country with no electricity and just a very slow like it just everything slowed down and I, I was like and I was thinking about it. I was like, well, what in the hell can we do? Like, we can't strip the music out. that That's crazy. And and then I was like, it needs to be heist music. And so I, I asked, actually, what I asked Josh for was heist music for the entire episode. And he, he was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. But what we can do is we can put it over the last scene. And I was like, okay, if we can get over the last scene. Because it works okay for the rest of the, the piece. But the last scene is where it really just, yeah, well, that's. Behind the paywall, all right. But to John, I still remember when Josh called after he'd been working on it for a couple of days and said, I have discovered that heist music is basically a great, a great bass line and some bongos and then throw in some flute over it once in a while. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, all right.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting. I have a tendency when I write, to listen to music that is going to fit the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And I only listen to music on the first one. I listened to, I listened to Sweeney Todd. I listened to, um, night on bald mountain. I listened to a lot of the Romani, um, violin music. Mm -hmm. Um, but this, but two, three and four, I don't know that I really listened to very much. When I was doing it, the new episodes that I'm not allowed to announce yet, is that correct?
2: Yes, not yet.
1: Um, that, I listened to very specific music.
2: Um, yeah, I really wanted to listen to. yes.
1: Here's a
0: pretty big tangent, listeners. This one brought to you by me. I talked all about the music of the next series we'll be writing and all the intricacies of that, which will be saved for a future episode. I'm going to drop us back in now.
1: Yeah, that's sort of very more. It's a very mournful sound it's beautiful but it's very very mournful and it reminds me actually it's kind of like the um it's like the eastern U- european version of early tango music like because tango music tang the tango was originally fun fact the tango was originally a dance of mourning not morning as in am mourning as in Saturday. really and it was originally I Women are not. not allowed to dance the tango. It was originally always danced with two men. So very early tango Wait, music. Wait, you're talking
2: about like the embraced and they walk side by side and there's the dip and the twirl, that tango? That tango. Really? That's fascinating. It, it
1: okay. was originally, if you watch old school tango, mm-hmm. like very old, early tango, it's very mournful and very sad. Um, and there's not, it's not that romantic, passionate kind of thing. It's, you know, but anyway, long story, too late. Um, so fun fact of that, but yeah, I, I, um, there, there is, it's, it's very sad, very mourn, mournful. Um, I don't think so, although I have a tendency to just turn, uh, YouTube on and just, Find one thing that I want, and then just let it play, which is how I once ended up in a a um, hellhole of Real Housewives. Um, I don't know how I got there, but that's algorithm.
0: Yeah. Hey, listeners. For this section, I asked Nora a very important question: what she thought of Madame Xanadu compared to Wonder Woman, an episodic series versus an anthology. This is her answer.
2: Okay, I think what he is asking you, Nora, is that. Given that we have we had just done Wonder Woman and it was all episodic, and that this was very different both in storytelling as well as musically, how did it what impressions did it make on you? Not whether was not not what did you think, or was it good or bad, or just honestly, what impression did it make? What did you think of of I any mean, yeah, the episodes? it
3: was definitely vastly different. Um I think uh while I don't listen to the things like the full episodes or anything like during the process as right. much as everyone else, um, right. uh, viewers uh, or listeners, uh, okay everyone on this call knows, but the listeners don't. Josh and I are basically a married couple, so nothing that happens throughout the entire podcast happens without me being on the other end of a phone call at some point accidentally. Um, so I do get like tidbits here and there so like while I didn't listen to the full thing until we had practically released it I heard a lot of it throughout the process um and then also got a lot of phone calls that were nonsense gibberish Josh talking about music composition um so but I yeah I think I mean it is vastly different um and I think, you know, we discussed a lot how different it is in terms of Wonder Woman being very much as if Josh were scoring a movie versus this being more of an immersive experience, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the the difference in technique that that takes. Um, and... uh and stylistic differences. Um, I mean obviously at skill sets as well. This is a very different skill set than being able to score a film. Um, I think an immersive experience and a and a film scoring are very different. And um, you know, to to that end with Josh, um, for people out there that are not music people, maybe they won't appreciate it to the same extent. But I, I just want to take a second to give kudos to Josh because you can't take every single film uh, composer and just be like, hey, and also create this immersive experience. Um, like that's not just like a film scoring technique. That's a, a totally different skill set, which I think um, Josh can navigate those two worlds so well that um, I think that definitely deserves some props there.
2: Certainly, certainly, John Williams can't do it. Yeah, fuck that guy. Where's he? Where's he? Where's he these days, huh? I mean, you know.
3: What's he doing? (laughs) He's, you know, no.
2: No, you know what, Nora, you are 100% right. Like, part of what is wonderful about Josh is not just that he is capable of putting together something, like even the the audio on this. But from a technical standpoint, it's not just that he can... Craft sound. And it's not even that he's adept at, at, create, at getting a sense off of the script of what the world is and building a sound bed that creates that world, but he, he composes music that is apt to the world. And one of the things that he did that, that I am eternally grateful for is uh, Josh wanted for Madam Xanadu in all four episodes to have the opening be reflective and similar. Right. So so every episode involves someone coming in to her shop and the door opens and we hear the bell tinkle per John's request in the script. And and she says, uh, enter freely and unafraid. But there's always music playing when you come through the shop, like on a radio. And I insisted because it's supposed to be background music, that it be the girl from Ipanema, because that is that's elevator music. That is the quintessential elevator music. And because John stipulated that they were in different eras, Josh wrote like the cheat would have been just to always have girl from Ipanema playing. And that would have been fine. Right. But not for Josh. Josh rewrote it four times to reflect the era. So there was like a disco version. There's like a big band jazzy version. There's uh, what were the other, there's this, the modern spa version.
0: I'm back listeners. For this section, I talked about having a girl from Ipanema-style cover in bluegrass and how I always want to purchase a mandolin. It's something I've always wanted, but never bought. Anyways, that's all that was really said in this section. On to the next one.
3: Yeah, you know, so anyway, he ruined our dream, my dream of becoming an EDM uh, DJ. I, um, I am so.
2: very sorry to hear that. I would have gone to at least one of your performances.
3: Thank you.
1: Well, I do have to say... Thank you. And... Um, now that I know Josh and I know what Josh is capable of, the script for the new stuff was very specific. Like I was, I was annoyingly specific about Madam Xanadu's bell. I was like, I remember the first one I heard. I was like, nope, that's not it. And then I, I think I sent you like a bunch of YouTube videos. Like this is what it needs to sound like. Um, but yeah, for the new one, I was very, very alarmingly, annoyingly specific. There's a lot of wood floors, and I think I wrote in the script, I'm sorry you have so many. Because...
2: Josh actually commented, he's like, he was like, he's like, why does he write that? He's like, because he feels bad that you're, he's like, that's not hard. I don't mind
1: um, creeping Well, because I remember at one point I was like, this wood floor has to be more porous than that wood floor. Sorry. Or something like that. Um.
2: You know, although I will say, th- though, in Xanadu, uh, John, you had a specific sound effect that thank you and thank you for being good natured about it. But uh, there's that sound effect in, in episode four where when Faraday comes in the room in the back of the club, what you had written is that it when, it when the door opens, you can hear faint chanting because because what was great is that it's this magician's club. So it's like a nightclub, but there's also like. In the back area, there's like satanic rituals or weird shit going on. So, like, you get, you know, and in the movie, in my head, that moment plays. And what, what I realized listening to it and then talking with Josh is that without the visual sense of the, this is the back area and there's sketchy shit going on, the, the isolated sound of him opening the door, they're being chanting in the background and him shutting and it cut off it's not grounded in anything we're aware of. And so he played it and I'm like, that makes no sense. Like, I don't know what I'm listening to. I don't know what that is. And so, so you gave me permission to like change or cut it. And thank you. Cause like we were trying to make it work and it was like, and you, and again, because you've been very specific, we were trying to honor it. and It was just like, here's an interesting fact. Chanting in the background needs a visual referent. If there's no, if it doesn't directly no. tie it, you know, <laughs> And I didn't know that. Like, why would you know that?
1: You know? So full disclosure. So first of all, I'm sorry. There's a motorcycle going by. Um, I can't I hear There's it. a motorcycle club or something on my street. Um, but full disclosure. The reason that I wrote that was at that point, um, and I don't think I realized it until, Kelly, you brought it up. At that point in my head, I was still writing a horror piece and I wasn't writing a heist piece. And I don't think I realized I was writing a heist piece until uh, until probably the first round of notes that I got from you. I think it actually may have even been when you were like, "We have to cut this. This doesn't work." That, that well, chanting in the well,
2: well, at that point, what it was like, part of it was was it, it didn't work because it was isolated. But it wasn't for me, John. Like I may have realized the heistiness of it three years ago when we recorded a dialogue. But in the interim, because I hadn't spent a lot of time with the script, it wasn't until I was going through and listening to it, you know, with Josh's uh, finishing parts that I went, oh, shit, it's a heist movie. And then looking back is when I realized, oh, my God, all four of them are actually distinct genres. And and it's easy to miss that because – It is overarching Madame Xanadu and Mysterious and and horror, but the first one is like a horror, almost a fever hallucination dream, right? Like it's a very specific kind of horror movie. Like I remember um, uh, Rod Serling's second show, not Twilight Zone, was a show called uh, Night Gallery. I don't know if you ever saw this. Um, It's a 70s show. Some of the episodes go straight into camp, but I have a memory from childhood that to this day unsettles me. Like it's an image from that show. And I, I, I have looked for it when I found like episodes of Night Gallery, like online or whatever, and I can't find it. So I may have seen a movie and conflated them in my head, but in this. In this episode there was a painter who was trying to get this painting right and one of the things he was very frustrated and one of the things he did is he took his fingers and he smeared the face out of the figure that he's painting so that the body's intact but the face is just this this smear of like you know fingers through paint how it's lines kind of you know later in the episode the gallery he sets the gallery on fire and the paintings come to life. And one of the last shots you see is the figure in this painting with no face moving blindly while things are burning. And it, it frightened me very fundamentally like that, that, that sort of like stuck for me. And, and I forgot what my point was. (laughs) Um,
1: Um, you didn't realize it was a heist piece. Well,
2: I didn't realize it it was a heist piece, but, but, oh, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. So I didn't realize it was a heist piece because I did see this connecting tissue that it is this spooky thing. And like that first one, when I say like, it's scary to me, it's a scary story, like almost a nightmare fever dream. And for me, that would be reflecting on that, that faceless figure that's moving in this painting that's come alive. Like, it's scary on an almost primal level, like not a not a logical, not a you kids don't go in that haunted house, don't separate the party, modern sort of sensibility, but a much more primal like basic fear. Something from, for me, something from childhood that just scares you whether it's rational or not, right? That's the first piece. Yeah, Josh.
0: Listeners, this is a massive cut. Like 15 minutes of me talking about sound design and composition within Madame Xanadu. Unfortunately, it's all lost. If you do want to hear more of that, we may do an entire interview on it. Anyways, I'm going to jump us to the next section. And what is one of the final sections of this interview? The
2: point I was trying to make (laughs) is that the four stories, while they do have the overarching uh, Madame Xanadu character and therefore an air of mystery to it, the first story is is. Is a horror story that's almost a primal horror story, not a structured one, but like a more base, basic at the root horror story. Yeah, not even like to me more primal than gothic. Gothic is a very formalized style. This is the kind of thing that like leaves you afraid in the day, not just at night, right? Um, episode two, however, is a confessional, right? It's 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 also like we we it's also a little background. We, we learned that Madame Xanadu knows her way, like, in bargaining, but, like, it is this, this man coming to her for help, and so we find out about her ethical, moral code. Episode three is a straightforward procedural, like, like an episode of NCSI, almost. And then episode four is a heist. So they are actually structurally radically different, and the, think, the things that link them are A, Madame Xanadu, and B, all of them obliquely deal with concepts of love. And when I say obliquely, I mean, I'm saying that John wasn't overtly hammering us over the head with it, right? Like they're,
1: Oh no, they are all love stories. It was, it's interesting though. I think the podcast in general has made me, um, acutely aware that we rely very much on visual storytelling now. Oh yeah. Um, and I sort of, I keep thinking one of the things that I pointed out, I want to say it was in the second comics corner that we're redoing this Friday as a live show. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. It was great. (laughs) It was a great live show. But one of the things that I was, was pointing out was that comics are really kind of the oldest graphic literature is the oldest form of the written. Right. Right. The printed thing, because this is what the cave stories were, but um, you know, thinking about it in terms of um, sort of storytelling, um, and and the idea that even when you were telling a story before civilization, when you were just, um, as Gail Simone once wrote in a Wonder Woman comic, you know, you have no idea what we were before civilization by only firelight and steel. Um, there was still a visual aspect of it, and so trying to tell a story only orally, a u r. Oh. Um, it was really complicated. And, you know, because Matthew was there at wonder woman, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I, I was, I was feeling very like, okay, there's someone there in case I fall. Who's right. going to cushion the blow. This was a little bit more complicated because I, I just was like, how the hell do you freak someone out when they can't, when you can't use a jump scare? You right. know, right. I, I mean, e- even Psycho, which is probably the most brilliant sort of horror movie, I, you know, I'm, right. I'm going to we're going to get comments about that. But I mean, but Psycho, how could you possibly tell Psycho in a radio play?
2: It'd um, be a very hard sell.
0: For the final section of the interview, we talk about what our favorite episode of Madam Do is. Since my part of the interview isn't included, I'll just tell you what mine is. It's episode one. It's really sick. Anyways, here's everybody else's answers.
3: Um, I liked number one the best. Um, I don't have anything profound to say about it. It was just really good. They we were all really good, but I just liked number one. I'm done. Please pick someone else and cut me uh, out. Of whole,
2: you go, Josh. I'm actually <laughs> still. Display. I'm actually still making up my mind. I'm. Th- I'm actually actively thinking about it. So please, you you go ahead. I, I hear exactly what you guys are saying about number one, and and I have to say, sort of like in, in a in an abstract sense along those lines, I'm a fan of number one because it is, it is atypical and it works. And, and that is reflective of both the writing as well as the efforts of the creative team to realize it. But I think for me personally, just to my own taste, it's episode number four. Um, and and there's a couple of reasons. Number one, because it is a very contrasted idea that like, Madame Xanadu, who's very serious and mysterious, is taking part in like basically sort of a wacky heist. I happen to love that per, that contrast personally, right? And when I say wacky, I don't mean slapstick. I mean it's just it's kind of it's kind of ridiculous because it's like it's a heist that turns out not to be a heist but a con. And, and like it's, and there's, and, so like, I love the, the switch around and how smart it is. I also happen to be personally a tremendous fan of, um, uh, Zatara, uh, uh, uh um, Zatanna Zatara. Um, I, 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 ever since I encountered the character, she is You know, John, you were talking about Madame Xanadu. She is sort of my Madame Xanadu. I find the character utterly fascinating. Um, And her arc, I have learned, like, in bits and pieces over time. But the thing I find interesting about her is that she's this very sort of upbeat, almost happy-go-lucky character that comes from very serious origins and has, like, so much power. Like, she's tremendously powerful. But she's, you know, she's pretty easy going so I love that she's in it I love that there's other characters from the DC Universe in it um, I love that there's a heist and a switch around um, yeah I, I think that's I think that's it that's my favorite like to my taste out of out of like if I were gonna go see these as like television shows or, or movies or something the heist one would be my first choice so um, that said you know you know they did a, they did a great job in all of them so
1: Sophie. Number two was my favorite to write um, because I got to do a very – with the exception of the very first scene and the second to last scene, it all took place in the parlor, so it was easy to write. And mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to say easy to write, but it, it was – It structured itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, that being said, one is the one that I listen to the most without in my head rewriting it. And going, oh, I should have taken that line out. Oh, I should have cut that word. Oh, I should have All used, right. I should have used this word instead of that word. Why did I do that? Why didn't I use my thesaurus when I was writing this? Um, so I think the first and the second one. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna parse right, anymore. So, it any more so than
2: then that. it's three for number one with an honorable mention for number one for me, and and four is my favorite. So uh, Oh yeah, like let's be clear. It's not like we're saying like so. Don't listen to the others. Like, come on, they're all great. Uh, it it is it is an, like kudos to John for writing it. Kudos to you for uh, for bringing it to life the way you did, Josh. But also kudos to Alex Venancio who who plays her and literally had to like do a thirty minute monologue. You know that's oh. That's easy. I take all my marching orders from Nora. Matthew and I just do whatever Nora tells us to do.
3: I am the mastermind.
2: You are the mastermind. All right. We should, uh, we should say, say farewell. till again, we speak, which will be probably in 20 minutes. Um, uh, well, I, I still don't know it, John, you're going to have to lead us on this or you or Nora are going to have to lead us on the sign out. I don't know it still. Matthew's got that nice little tag that I never remember.
1: I know. Well, we want to say thank you for joining us. Of course. Um, All of the the behind-the-scenes stuff uh, comes to you thanks to our Patreons. Um, We we just want to say thank you to everyone who listens to us on all the platforms. Please like, please subscribe, please pass it on to your friends. Um, And when you do pass it on, let them know, ears open, buds in, And don't sue us, please.
0: Thanks for listening to another interview for the -the behind-the-scenes content of Madam Xanadu. This is our final piece of behind-the-scenes content before our new series launches on October 23rd. We're super excited to have you hear it. You can find us on all social media at The Superhero Podcast and on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash The Superhero Podcast. Thanks for listening.